You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. because he sees people going to church, pretending to be holy, going to church, pretending to be righteous, going to church, pretending to be a Christian, and they are far from him. Will they be the ones that he says to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Ah. His heart is broken by what he sees. His heart is broken because he knows He knows that there will never, ever be another sacrifice. Are you ever stunned by people's ignorance and just feel sad? When you have knowledge that could help someone, but they don't listen, what can you feel but despair? Pastor Dave reminds us today that that's God's heart for us. He gave everything in order that you might love Him, but ultimately, the choice is yours. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 3, as he continues his message, True Greatness. Jesus has divine greatness, a divine dialogue, and next thing we see, John the Baptist tells us that Jesus is the divine truth. Look at verse 33. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. Jesus declares himself to be the truth. I am the way and the truth. He who receives his testimony certifies that God is true. When you receive the testimony of Jesus Christ, something happens inside. It's almost like the Holy Spirit puts a seal on your head. Accept it. Beloved. You you get this stamp on your heart, and you know everything's true. Those of you who had tons of questions, I urge you to accept Jesus Christ into your life. I urge you to look at him as Savior. I urge you, and watch all the questions go away. Watch all the answers come forward, because he is the answer. The Spirit of God was born to witness in your own heart the truth of God. The Spirit of God leads you into all truth, shows you and teaches you all things. There are things I just know are true. You say, how do you know they're true? Well, I know they're true. I accept them by faith, and I'm knowing that they are true. What did Jesus tell Thomas? Blessed are those, Thomas, who don't see but yet believe. Oh, how blessed. That means, oh, how happy. There's a seal. The Spirit just bears witness to the truth. And you know what? In John's epistle, first epistle, in 1 John, I mean, he says this over and over and over. And I've got a couple verses here. Let me go through them. In 2.21, John writes this, I've not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. John says you know it. Look at verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. How about 3, 5? And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. 4, 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. And 5, 13. These things I have written to you to believe in the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. 
when you accept Christ into your heart and when you totally submit to him, you know. You know! Because falseness is driven away. You, you know. And as your faith builds, you trust in him. And he proves himself time and time and time and time again. How many of you have gone through a series of circumstances and Christ has shown himself strong every single time? And then you come to the next circumstance and you go, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Are you kidding me? Are you really kidding me with this? Look back. Look back and see how all along, every single time, Christ has been true and faithful all along in your lives. Why? Oh, why would he stop now? God has not changed. God has not changed. Jesus has the divine greatness, a divine dialogue, divine truth. The one who receives his testimony will proclaim loudly that God is true. When we believe God's commandments, are true, his commandments become our enablements. I know enablements isn't a word, but it sounds good. When we believe it to be true, we are enabled by the Spirit to do the things of God. When we know it to be true, the one who refuses to excuse sin and the one who steps out in faith to flee youthful lust, the one who reckons the old man dead, will experience God's faithfulness every step along the way. Every step along the way. And if you don't believe me, try it. I challenge you. Jesus is true greatness because of his deity, his divine dialogue, his divine truth. And the next thing we see is Jesus' divine doctrine. Look at verse 34. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. Jesus carries the divine doctrine and knowledge of God the Father. Jesus was sent by God. Jesus speaks the word of God. The word of God is doctrine. Jesus speaks the words which come from the Father. In John 12, in John 12, verses 49 and 50, Jesus says, For I have not spoken my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command that I should say and what I should speak. And I know his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. It's a divine doctrine. And I pray, my prayer every Sunday I come up here, every Sunday I stand before you, as I pray, God would show a divine doctrine to you. You don't want my doctrine, you want God's doctrine. You don't want my truth, you want God's truth. That's what's more important. We need to hear from God. We need to hear from God. In 14, in chapter 14, verse 10, Jesus said, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. I love it. God has commissioned Jesus with all authority. He's commissioned him with all power. He's commissioned him with all knowledge and with all strength. And to reject this witness is to reject the highest authority in the universe. If you reject this witness, you are rejecting God himself. So this true greatness of Jesus Christ, this true greatness of Jesus Christ comes from his very deity. It comes from his divine dialogue. It comes from his divine truth. It comes from his divine doctrine. And the next thing we see from his greatness, it comes from a divine dad. Look at 
next verse, 35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. As a loving Father who knows how to give glorious and wonderful gifts, placed everything into Jesus' hand. Look at the power that Jesus possessed. Go through the Gospels. Go through the Bible and see what the power that Christ possessed. The waves were rocking the boat around. There would be a knock silly. Waves were coming over the, over the bow of the boat. The disciples were going, we're going to perish. What's wrong? Peace be still. I bet some of you voters would like that. He walks by a fig tree. He says, fig tree be cursed and bear nothing. And the next time they see it, it's dead and it's withered. He had the power to heal the sick, make the lepers clean. He had the power to forgive sin, the power to raise the dead. He had the power to settle the terms of the new covenant. He had the power of redemption, the power to forgive sin. He has the power to be the mediator between God and man. The father held nothing back from him. And being one with the son, he's given the son the same power he possesses. The son and he are one. Therefore, when we receive Christ's witnesses, we share in his love and his wealth. To reject Christ's witnesses is to sin against love itself. It's no wonder that Christ wept over Jerusalem. It's no wonder that Christ wept over the city of Jerusalem. They rejected his witness. They rejected both his message and they rejected his miracles. Imagine how the Lord weeps over those today who are still rejecting him. I believe he looks down in heaven and his heart is heavy. His heart is crushed because he sees people going to church, pretending to be holy, going to church, pretending to be righteous, going to church, pretending to be a Christian, and they are far from him. Will they be the ones that he says to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Ah, His heart is broken by what he sees. His heart is broken because he knows. He knows that there will never, ever be another sacrifice. What he did on the cross is final, done. Wash your hands of it, gone. He will not go back up on that cross again. That is the sacrifice that must be accepted. He looks down from heaven with a heavy heart. Sadly, even today, people are in churches all over the United States not listening to his testimony, not listening to what the Spirit is saying to them. And that brings us to the final point that points to the true greatness of Jesus. Jesus is the divine destiny. He is the divine destiny. Jesus' greatness is true greatness because he's divine. He carries a divine dialogue, a divine truth, a divine doctrine. He has a divine dad, and he points to a divine destiny because he is the way to eternal life. Look at 36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Oof. Wow. In this very, very tiny verse, you see the true gospel. 
the two Gospels right there in that tiny verse 36 in John 3. We clearly see that the Son, Jesus Christ, is the giver of life, true life, eternal life, everlasting life. But Jesus shows us a divine destiny, either eternal life or the wrath of God. Eternal life or the wrath of God. It's interesting that this is the only time in the gospel and all the epistles that John wrote where the word wrath is mentioned. He does mention it in the book of Revelation. But in his gospel and in his epistles, he does not mention the word wrath. Very interesting. So you might be sitting here still not convinced of Jesus' testimony. So here comes that kicker verse that I always love. Here comes the kicker verse. Everlasting life, wrath of God. Usually the word wrath gets people's attention. Everybody wants to be told that they're great, you're wonderful, you're fantastic, good looking. <laughs> Everybody wants to be told that. We all want to be built up. We all want to be happy and cheerful and neat. We want to be told that we're worth something. Nobody wants to hear about the wrath of God. And if you don't want to hear about the wrath of God, please excuse yourselves. Because at Calvary Chapel, we talk about God's wrath. Because you can't have the gospel without the wrath of God. It doesn't match. I thought God was a God of love. He is. He's a God of love. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you on a cross. He's a God of love. And in that, he demonstrated his love for you. Because you were still sinning at the time Jesus went to the cross. Those who do not accept that sacrifice of Jesus Christ on that cross, that do not believe that God raised them on the third day, to them, he must show his wrath. He must show God's wrath because it is his righteous judgment. It's God's righteous judgment. One commentator said this, listen to this, quote, God's wrath abides in this world because there is no statute of limitations on sin. It abides into the next world because those who reject Jesus cannot offer a perfect sacrifice acceptable to God. The wrath of God abides until it is satisfied by receiving the permanent payment Jesus made on the cross. When does everlasting life begin? The day you accept Jesus Christ. The day you accept Jesus Christ, everlasting life begins. Woohoo! We possess that life right now. It is a life given to God, to the believer. It's the abundant life through the work of the Holy Spirit. We have that life in us now. But the opposite of eternal life is eternal death. The wrath of God. A person does not have to go to hell to be under the wrath of God, although that is the destination of those not accepting Christ. John in 3.18 says that he who does not believe is condemned already. The verdict has been given. The sentence has not yet been carried out. Why? Because God is long-suffering. God wishing that none would perish. He's patient. And he continues even to this day to call sinners into repentance. But folks, it's called the age of grace. And if you look at the time clock of prophecy, if you look at the time clock of end times, you see the time clock and the age of grace going like this. It's fast approaching to where it will end. The age of grace will end. And every time I say that, I'm always reminded, I don't know why, I've got to say it, 
the Fram oil filter guy. You can pay me now or you can pay me later. I'm always reminded, I don't know why, a goofy analogy. But God is waiting for you. He's waiting. He's long-suffering. He doesn't want anybody to be perished. Those that have accepted Jesus Christ have already died to their sin. They've been declared not guilty. They've been justified by faith. But those that haven't, those that haven't accepted Jesus Christ and declared him Lord are like the thousands upon thousands of prisoners in our penal system right now on death row. They're just waiting for the time when executions will be carried out. But there's a difference between them and you. Most of them will eventually have their execution date. God is still merciful. He's still gracious to you. He's still waiting. That's been put on hold. You have a stay of execution right now. Giving you a chance to erase all of the past, to erase all of the bad, and to come into his glorious kingdom. There's still a chance. Do not trample over the cross of Jesus Christ. Do not trample over the cross of Jesus Christ on your way to the lake of fire, on your way to hell, on your way to whatever it is you want to call it, on your way to eternal death and eternal separation from God. Do not trample over the cross of Jesus Christ. Instead, embrace it. Embrace the cross of Christ. Embrace it, for it is the only way to salvation. In order for salvation to take place, you must go through the cross. You must go through the cross, just like Christ did. Throughout this beautiful and poignant chapter, the Apostle John has been emphasizing one main point, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what he's been emphasizing since verse 1 as we began the conversation with Nicodemus. And that is the crux of his message. That is what he's trying to tell us because in chapter 20, in verse 30 and 31, John writes the reason he wrote the book. It's the very reason he writes the book. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which were not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. This is what John wants. He wants you to come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Say it one more time. He wants you to get out of the religious box and see him clearly. Get into a relationship with the living God because it is a living relationship that begins with the new birth. Jesus said clearly two times, you must be born again. When we receive Christ into our lives, we share his life, we share his death, and we become children of the Most High God. We become co-heirs with Christ. This relationship is a loving relationship because Jesus is the bridegroom, and when we accept him, we become part of the bride. We become part of his church. And like John the Baptist, our new desire is that he would increase and we would decrease. We must receive no honor, no glory, and he must receive all honor and all glory. It's a learning relationship for Christ's faithful witness who shares all of God's eternal truth with us. 
It is a true delight to receive God's word, to meditate on it, to make it part of our lives, and then to watch as the Lord does mighty things in and through us by the Holy Spirit. John never wants us to forget the blessings that we have through Jesus Christ. For us to be born again, there was a cost. Our beloved Jesus hanging and dying on a cruel Roman cross. Our beloved Jesus enduring the hatred and condemnation of mankind. Christ had to be lifted up on the cross so that we might experience forgiveness and eternal life. And as we said earlier, the true cross of true greatness is the humble, selfless, sacrificial service. This is exactly what Jesus has demonstrated to us. May we never forget it, and when we never take it for granted. Look at the world in which we live. Look at the world in which we now live. It is a world that is sinking fast into the quicksand of sin. It is sinking fast. God doesn't condemn us for being in the quicksand. God does not condemn us for being in the quicksand. We condemn ourselves by refusing to reach out to the nail-pierced hand that is coming down into the religious box to pull us out into his marvelous light. When you reject that, you have condemned yourself. And the condemnation of God, his wrath is upon you. You can argue with me all you want, but you need to argue with God first because it's in his word. And that is the rest of the story, folks. Amazing. The amazing concept here. It's amazing truth that was shown to us here in the Gospel of John, chapter 3. You must be born again. If you're sitting here today and have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you have been playing a game all along with me, with those who know you, if you've been coming here for a long time and you know the Christianese, you went online and you saw what, it, what you're supposed to do to act like a Christian, and now you come in here and you got us all fooled, well, good for you. You haven't fooled God. You haven't fooled God. And he still awaits your calling. He still awaits your acceptance the hand is reaching down, has a big gnarly hole in it from a spike. It's reaching down. He's already done it. He initiated it. He already did the work. And all you have to do is go, yes, Lord, and grab the hand. He's thrown the life preserver. He's thrown it out. And you've got to grab for it. You've got to reach for it. It's your responsibility. God has called you. He wants you. He died for you. And the last thing I want to say is what in the snot are you waiting for? Today's the day of salvation. You are a the Gospel of John was written from a perspective that provides an eyewitness account of what happened during the life of Jesus here on earth. Different than the other three Gospels, John's book describes Jesus in ways that confirm him as the Son of God. There are things done and said that can only point to Jesus being far more powerful than what a human could do. In the Old Testament, God referred to himself as I Am, 
In this book, John recounts how Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the resurrection and the life. These were bold statements, but Jesus proved throughout his ministry that they were indeed true. He lived a life that compelled people to follow at that time, to seek him out, and to commit their lives. And we can also follow him today. If you missed any part of today's teaching, or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit AssureHopeRadio.com. Perhaps you were listening, you realized that you have some questions about faith, and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. You can also click on the Jesus tab at AssureHopeRadio.com. This will provide you with a succinct picture of who Jesus is and how he can change your life. Thank you again for taking the time to learn about God's word today. We hope you'll join us again next time on A Sure Hope.